Hello, welcome to Northern Stages' eighth podcast. We've recently been joined by Amy Golding, Melody Sports, The House of Love, Scott Turnbull, Northern Stages' young company, Dan Vai, and last week, Matt and I chatted to Hannah Bannister, the director of Shandyland. You can catch up with those previous podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, and iTunes. This week, as we continue to talk to artists who were due to be part of this season's programme at Northern Stage, we're chatting to Gareth Farr, the writer of Shandyland who also wrote The Bridge, The Quiet Place, and of course, Britannia Waves of Rules. Enjoy it. It's a corker. Afternoon, Matt. Good afternoon, Matt. And uh, welcome, Gareth. Hello. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Finally. Uh, I've heard a lot about you. All bad. Yeah, and, true. Uh, <laughs> and so before we get started on Chandeland as a piece of work, I sort of want to start with you, or we want to start with you, about, you know, how you come to be on a Zoom call with us yeah. and having read quite a bit about you, actually. You've had a really, really diverse career. Yeah. And so where did it all begin? Um, I suppose it started when I was about 14, something like that. When I, I, I mean, I, I, I say and I know that I've always wanted to be a writer. Like... Uh, and that started with just kind of, uh, I don't know, interest in reading, interest in words. I love words. I love kind of stories and words. So I, I listen to music, but I don't really listen to the music. I listen to the lyrics. So I'd be like, I'm, a, I'm like a fan of lyrics rather than music. Yeah. Uh, I sort of wrote poetry when I was 14 and then kind of was published when I was 16 and weird stuff like that started to kind of happen. Wow. Um, and um, I've sort of always wanted to be a writer. Um, but like things got in the way, which was, which kind of like, like, which sort of like generated the diverse career. Um, and I think like what, what, what got in the way? So, um, I was told by a tutor to kind of say the words that I'm trying to write. So I started acting and then acting yeah. got in the way for quite a long time. Um, yeah. I went to university and was kind of writing and acting um, and I had a brilliant time there, a fantastic time at university. And then uh, while I was there, I, um, I, I suppose I didn't want to leave. I wasn't ready to leave education. So I, I applied for drama school, which I didn't know anything about really at the time. I was at Manchester Met University in Crewe oh, in Alsasia, um, which is kind of like, it was like a, uh, a campus in the middle of uh, a village really in Staffordshire, which was just kind of, so I, I, there was no... I didn't really know anything about uh, drama schools or anything like that. So I went to like the careers department of the university and found these prospectuses and applied to three and got in. I got into a drama school called Weber Douglas, which is no longer around anymore, but um, yeah. it was brilliant. Um, and I suppose like once I got in, I um, I suppose, well, I was like, I'll focus on acting for a bit then. Um, and I fortunately got the money to kind of go. I did a lot of... Um, random things like I got like funding from my old sixth form college to like nobody had ever applied to before um or applied for before and I got that and that paid for half of it I was like well I'm in and I've got the money I've got to go so I went to drama school and did two years at Weber and then went straight from there to the Royal Shakespeare Company and then things just started like became I became an actor well, obviously <laughs> I wanted to be an actor obviously that was, it wasn't like I just became one like I wanted to do it and I was kind of like really committed to it but all that time all that time I was kind of acting I went from the RSC and I went to, I kind of um, the West End and the Young Vic and Royal Court and all that time I was writing and writing and writing I was like I just want to like not just want to be a writer I was kind of uh, keen to get that going and I'd written this play um, so going back to when I was kind of like 14, 15 I'd wrote this series of, of, of poems 
maybe a bit later than that, when I was about 18, about uh, so like an epic poem about uh, a boy who uh, grows up, joins the army and then leaves. And it was about the journey of a boy. Um, and I suppose it was about a modern day war poet or something. And then I'd kind of done quite a lot of acting and was like, right, I need to write this. I need to write a play. And I had these poems and I thought, right, well, I'm just going to pay myself for six weeks to write. So I kind of just, I stuck some money in the bank and I was like, right, I'm just going to not work. So I told my agent, I'm not going to work during this time. Um, I'm going to write. So I just sat on my kitchen table and wrote this play uh, called Britannia Waves the Rules. And that was like, so that was kind of stitched together by these nine poems that I had in kind of like from when I was a kid. Um, and, um, and that was my first play, really. And I kind of sent that out to quite a few places um, with kind of positive feedback. At the time, it was like, well, the feedback generally was like, you are, we like this play, but we don't know you, so we can't put it on. And it was like that sort of frustrating thing, like you've never had a play on, so we can't put this play on. But you, we like it, but we can't, we can't put it on. <laughs> um, so I was getting like frustrating feedback, uh, which felt like it was positive. It felt like it was positive, but I'm not. It felt like it was frustrating as well. Um, and then that, I entered it like as a bit of a last ditch thing, really. I'd had lots of meetings at lots of theatres and lots of kind of like introductory coffees with people and saying that like, we like your play, but we can't do it. Um, and uh, I, um, I stuck it into the Bruntwood Prize, which is uh, like this really big playwriting prize run out of the Royal Exchange. And the Royal Exchange yeah. was kind of like the place for me. Like it was where I used to, I'm from Manchester and I'd kind of, I'd go past the Royal Exchange on a bus and I'd look at the stage door and I'd go like, one day I'm going to go through that. Um, yeah. And uh, I'd have that in my kind of like sights, that theatre. So when it was kind of, like, I realised it was run through the Royal Exchange and I stuck it in and then, yeah, that did quite well. So yeah, and then that's how I became a writer, I suppose, or how writing kind of competed with acting. Um, and teaching, and then um, and and that's how I'm on a Zoom call with you, I suppose. And a really <laughs> long answer to your question. <laughs> that's a great answer. I just want to pick a couple of things out of that. Yeah, do. Um, I mean, you had the seemingly the dream start. So you finished training and then went to work for the RSC. Yeah. I mean, what was that like? I mean, I bet the rest of your school or your year were going, "Hey, well done." Man. I know. Yeah. A bit was, of teeth. But, yeah, um, I know. This little oh, was that kind like? of like, like jumped up northerner, and it was kind of like, you, know, <laughs> you're, you, 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 you can't go to the RSC. Like, it's not, it's not for you. And I think that was kind of that's part of my drive. Like, it's always been about proving people wrong. I think a lot of my, a lot of my kind of uh, passion in this has been about proving people wrong. And there was, I don't know, it's low level kind of uh, feeling that. Well, not low level, actually. It was quite um, overt at times at drama school. Like, you do this, you're Northern, you do this. And I was like, yeah, that's not how it's going to be. Like, that's just mm. not how it's going to be. I'm yeah. like, I will break that rule and, like, and then come back knocking on your, and prove, you know, knocking on your door and prove that I've broken that rule and, and let you know about it. And there was a bit of that. And I suppose I got this audition for the RSC and it was, it was for Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, and it was to play, uh, well, the audition was for the first fairy in Midsummer Night's yeah. Dream. And I was like, okay, right, uh, graduate, that'd be unreal. So I went and did it, and I did it like, I don't know, it's kind of like lazy northern fairy who was just like, oh, I had enough. You know, I can't be doing this. <laughs> like, over hill, over dale, for a brush. I do wander everywhere. Like, I just can't be asked anymore. Um, and I think that kind of, well, obviously that went down quite well, but um, I kind of, um, I got offered it and my agent at the time was like, oh, I think we could probably do better than that. We'll knock it back. And I was like, what? 
What? No, don't don't kind of knock it back. Like I can't be turning work down. I've never do, like, I, I'm never trying. I try not to turn work down. I think acting and writing and, and being a creative is a yes project. So I was yeah. kind of like going yes, no, take it. And she was like, no, no, I think we can do better. Um, and um, and then they kind of came back and um, and they said, oh no, we'll give you um, snout and understudy bottom. Um, which was brilliant. I was like, "Yeah, I'll take that." And we did it. And 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 I was on stage. We did it at Stratford. It was a mind blowing kind of experience. And and then we went on tour. And then when we were on tour, um, I was sat on stage one night, and and the brilliant actor who was playing Bottom, his voice just went, it just completely went, like it just went. It was like silent. What during the show? During the show, yeah. And I was sat there on stage, looking at him, going, "I'm on tomorrow night." I am playing bottom tomorrow night <laughs> <laughs> um, in Midsummer Night's Dream for the RSA. I just like, and that's what happened. And I went on to bottom for, like in New York, like uh, what? ten. So yeah, I know it's like the stuff of legend. <laughs> it's like the stuff. What of is legend. going on here? I know. This, this, you made this up, surely? No, it was it's ridiculous. You know, um, um, and I suppose from that you just learn tons. Like I turned, learned like what I want to be, what kind of actor I want to be, and what kind of career i wanted and i i knew again and i, and I teach now i taught for a, a long time and i love teaching and i spend a lot of time teaching and I, t- I tell my students this like what i wanted to do was to have a diary that was full of things every day that i, I love doing um and and they're not always the same thing so yeah that was kind of like where the diverse career came from you know so then you um you touched on it, but you you um, won the Bruntwood Prize in 2011, and I'm obviously you know there's some distance between you know being bottom in New York on your first gig, and then also going to Young Vic and playing all the places that every single actor in the world wants to play. Um, and how was how was that when you won the Bruntwood Prize? I mean, because that must be you know it's got huge profile, um, it's got you know people. Uh, Entering such large amounts to that, yeah. and then, <clears throat> then you're the Brumwood Prize winner, and then um, from then on, pretend you were the rules, you know, because I was in Edinburgh the year it was in Payne's Plough at Runabout, yeah, and it was like the biggest player out there. I know it was a bit. Um, oh, I don't know really. It was a bit mind blowing. I think like oh, like going back to I, I've always wanted to be a writer. Like that was it. Like from being 14 and, and kind of writing and, and, and like it being a bit kind of secret and not really knowing what being a writer is because none of my family are writers and nobody I really know is a writer or an actor. And then I think like that kind of expectation of you are a writer, you are an actor, you're acting, you're at the Royal Shakespeare Company, you're doing these things, like you're at the Royal Court and like that is cool. And that for me was like brilliant, but I always knew that there was this other thing uh, which was writing, which was like, that's where it started. That's what it was all about. That's what it's kind of only ever really been about. And, 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 and I'm not doing it. So it was about me pushing that. And like I said, I took those, time, took those six weeks off and, and wrote Britannia. And, um, and I suppose I didn't believe that it would win the Bruntwood Prize. But then you've got to hope that it would. And I, I don't know, you get the phone call to say you're in the top uh, 100 or you're on the long list, then you're on the short list, then you're in the 
final 10 and would you come to a would you come to an award ceremony and we're not going to tell you whether you won or not but you were it was like proper kind of open the envelope time and like you didn't know i didn't know even then but i was really ill i'd got um i'd got uh shingles um uh like the week before or the or not even a few days before which is like if you don't know it it's like this kind of virus which kind of you come out in this big rash of blisters i don't mean neck and I was like really ill. I couldn't really get out of bed. Um, but I had to go to the Royal Exchange and, um, and to this award center. I was like, I've got to be there. I've got to kind of go, what if I win? And like, I can't, I can't, and I'm not there. That's just like not an option. So I was like, I kind of crawled out of bed and crawled to a train station and got on a train. Like, I just remember being really kind of out of it on this train. And like my mum and dad met me in Manchester and they were coming to the, um, they were coming to the award ceremony with me. And she was like, my mum was like, oh, you don't look good at all. Like, this is not, I mean, you've got to keep you away from people. So I was kind of like in the corner, like, like, like really kind of like out of it. And then like I was sat in, it was so surreal. I was sat in this kind of theatre and, um, and you know, they did like a little pocket of the play, a little, little section of the play they did. And I was sort of kind of like, yeah, that's amazing. That's brilliant. Like I'm at the Royal Exchange, which is where it was always, I always wanted yeah. to be. And they've done a bit of my play. So um, and Simon Stevens is sat next to me and like Maxine Peake's over there and Sue Johnson's there and it's like, this is nuts. And then Sue Johnson kind of read out one of the awards, which was me. And I did this thing where I, I just, I, like, they said my name and I kind of like stood up. And my mate is in the audience. He just said like, he, it looked like someone had just kind of um, dragged you out of a grave. Like he said, you just like <laughs> got up like a zombie and like walked towards them. Uh, and then well, I had this weird thing where I, I was halfway to getting the award from Steve Johnson and then um, and I had this feeling like did they actually say my name or have <laughs> I just kind of like have I just done that thing where I've I've stood up in front of a load of people <laughs> and it's not me <laughs> it was awful um it wasn't awful it was brilliant because they had said my name but thankfully thankfully like I think the years after that you had to make a speech on the spot but I uh, thankfully they didn't ask me to do that they just Right. They stuck this award in my hand and like they let me go back and sit down and like I just sat there <laughs> looking at it and I was like, Yeah. But um but yeah, and, and to, I suppose to answer your question, it was it was um it was that was two thousand eleven, so it was two and it was two thousand and fourteen when it was produced. So there was a, a period of kind of not knowing if it was gonna be on or um um and what they what the Royal Exchange were thinking about how they could program it, because I suppose they've only got as most theatres do, only a certain amount of kind of um, space in their program for new writing, and and there's four Brentwood winners, winners, and which one is going to be on and in, in which space, and um, and they were doing um, the last days of Troy. So um, I think what they were thinking then was that they would, um, well, not what they were thinking, what they did was that they would uh, program it in rep with that. So that was like the first story about war, and then yeah. uh, a really modern story about war. Um, and it was cross-cast, so some of the cast from Troy were in Britannia, and um, and that was um, and that was how it went. Um, and yeah, it was just um, a series of, of amazing, amazing experiences to um, to watch. And it was my one of my students, one of my students, my ex-students played the lead in it, which was another <laughs> amazing experience. Like I, I was teaching him at the time that I won, and I was thinking he'd be great for this, and then. Um, I recommended him for the audition, and he smashed the audition, and um, yeah, and got the part as Carl in in Britannia, and it was so it was just an amazing kind of uh, yeah synchronicity of moments where it's uh, yeah I just I just I sat there and, and watched a dream come true really yeah 
Yeah, I did. That's a that's a good way of describing it. Yeah, I just sat there and watched the dream come true. Yeah, like at the Royal Exchange as well, and where it, where I would kind of I would it was like I don't know I'd sit on the curb across the across from the Royal Exchange as a kid, going I'll be in there one day, I'll be in there one day, and it'll have my name in the front, and it did. Yeah, it was. Yeah, he couldn't really put it um, into words. Yeah, brilliant. So Gareth, you were teaching by this point. Yeah. So on the sort of timeline, when does teaching come into play? So I suppose acting acting went from kind of 2000 to 2012. And I suppose as I grew during that time and, and, and my life changed during that time, like acting takes, I, like, it's given me the best experiences or some of the best experiences in my life. But it takes a lot from you, acting. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm a bit of a kind of homebird. I'm not a massive fan of, of, of being away from home. And I sort of knew that. And like the RSC, like when I said I learned a lot on, on the RSC job, it was uh, I learned a lot about my craft and learned a lot about being an actor, but also learned a lot about me and thought there's only a certain amount of time that I want to do this, that I want to yeah. kind of travel. And, um, and it's a very, it's a brilliant job being an actor. And I teach acting now and I don't want to kind of... Um, uh, dismiss it as a brilliant, brilliant career, but it's also quite an antisocial career. Like you're all, you're at work when everyone else is at home. You know, um, yeah. if you're if you're in theatre, that is, and you, I mean, as directors, you know, you know the same, and producers, and and and, and I suppose it's um, it's a really difficult job to to kind of line up with life at times. Um, and because I had this amazing kind of career start where I, I just worked, at, like it kind of it was quite intense and I was quite keen to settle or to kind of find a job that I loved doing that wasn't that didn't take so much and I started I just wrote to every drama school and said can I come and do some workshops or just some kind of free classes um and uh and like um arts ed um got back to me Jane Harrison who was uh running arts ed at the time was, was massively um influential in in getting me into being a teacher so I just came in and, and shadowed her and did some kind of like free kind of workshops and classes that I just did on kind of like a like an internship really. And then I don't know. I think I just must have. I, I, like A, I just fell in love with it immediately. And B, I think I just must have turned up at a time which was really, really lucky. Like, talking to you guys, I realised how lucky I've been. Like I just, <laughs> I think I just turned up and was like, people sort of went oh, he can do that bit that I've been doing for a long time and, I, and I'm getting a bit tired of doing, or he can do this because I'm kind of thinking about retiring, or maybe Gareth could do that. I just started picking stuff up. And then after a bit, I was kind of like, would you like a full-time job here? And that was like that decision. That was about 2010. Um, and I did I had the full-time job. I did bits of acting um, uh, while I was doing that, while I was like a full-time tutor. And, um, and, and it was just so easy, so obvious that I was, I was in love with, with teaching and it allowed me to write. It gave me the time to write, but, um, and, and I had a really difficult kind of decision and a conversation with my agent at the time and just said, look, I think it's going to be, um, uh, teaching because I love it and I'm getting so much, I'm, I'm feeling more creative as a, as a teacher than I, than I do as an actor at the minute. And, and, and to start off with, it was about taking some time out from acting and, 
and my agent's a dear friend and she was just like oh well yeah i'll just keep putting you up stuff and you just have to say no to it rather than me kind of stopping being your agent and, I, and that's what i did i said no to stuff and, uh, and and because i was just loving teaching and then um and yeah and it allowed me to have the life that i were that i wanted and you know i was i got married and we wanted a family and things like that and it was like this is this fits this completely fits um but uh i was uh, i wrestled with it for a couple of years and then um and then I became the head of acting and then the director of the school. And that lasted until uh, just a year ago when, when I left Art Ed and, and, and moved and kind of came to Falmouth University, which is where I'm at the minute. and doing a similar job here where I'm teaching. Wow, Gareth. I mean, it sounds like you've had <laughs> the dream version of it. And I, um, well, I mean, it's not all been that straightforward. Exactly. But I think in that, you know, I, you know, I mean, obviously about. these are moments in time but i think it's also that there are those other moments where you know in our career or our industry that it can sort of slow down a bit and yeah. it can get you know quite a lonely space yeah um and what do you learn from those moments as well so yeah i think as much as i'm painting this out to be like the dream career and the dream life it, there's been some desperately frustrating uh, moments and some very difficult times, both personally and in my personal life, that I filtered into my work and um, and um, and some big decisions. But I think I don't know. Like it is a lonely career at times. Writing is lonely. Like I yeah. kind of find writing difficult and and making and making that sort of um, making decisions. I find it hard to make decisions within writing at times. Which is why I mean, we'll come on to it later. I'm sure, but why? Build Big Twelve and Shandyland was a brilliant process for me because it was a collaboration. And, yeah. um, but um, but I think um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's difficult to kind of um, to um, uh, put into words the loneliness, but because I, I sort of need it as well. Like I sort of get a bit like um, uh, driven by that as well. Like there's a, something about uh, being in that headspace that isn't comfortable and that isn't always pleasant that helps me with work because um yeah i don't ever want to get i don't ever want to settle i don't ever get content and go right i've done it now like just kind of sit back and sigh and go right i've done it like it's always about finding another challenge and it's always like finding that that sort of like thing that bothers me i think that doesn't i don't like because that's what i write about i write about things that make me want to shout or make me want to kind of like change something um uh, so i i don't ever i don't like yeah it's been a great career but it's been born out of wanting to work hard and wanting to kind of change something or wanting to kind of like get to the next yeah. stage or wanting to do the next thing it's not about um like coast i've never coasted you know i'm probably making out like that it's been one thing after another but i've always been ambitious been cursed with ambition i i often say like it's kind of it's a good thing to have ambition but it's also something that you can't shake off um and it and it and it and it drives me but it kind of it um it stresses me out as well so uh but then those two things i think are a healthy cocktail a healthy mix within a creative career where you go, this thing's kind of uh, doing my head in or this career is doing my head in, but I can't put it down because I, I, it does my head in because I care about it too much. Does that make yeah. sense? No, it does. Cause I think, you know, I think theater is a drug. It's yeah. the worst drug. You know, you sort of go, okay, I'll leave it alone. And then, but part of you goes, Oh, I just want to go and you know, take it again. And yeah. I think that that sort of magic of it is its problem, but also it's, you know, it's huge appeal. Yeah. You know, that you keep going because you want to change, make things better, I don't know, make you better, keep learning. So, yeah. you know, it all makes sense, you know, and sort of hearing you talk about it. So when you're talking to sort of young artists or 
artists that are trying to make their way in the world. What you sort of touched on it there, those three elements of ambition, drive, work, you know, knowledge, whatever. What are those things that you try to sort of drill into your students or that, that sort of? Um, I think there's, um, like, what makes you you, I think is a really good point that I, that I kind of kick at students. Like, a lot of my students, if they listen to this, they'll kind of like, you know, they'll giggle at that because I say that a lot. Like, what, what makes you you? Like, what makes you... Because I, I, like, I come, come back to kind of my time at, at drama school where it was a bit... It was a different era and it was... I remember getting told, oh, you're Northern, you'll play these parts. And, and then there's this thing in me just which went, like, yeah, but there's only one me. Like, there's not... Like there might be lots of northerners, but there's only one me, and like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like, I'm not gonna do that. And like exactly like we said, I went to the RSC, and like lots of people kind of uh, like uh, like noticed that, I suppose, or people that I was at drama school who just didn't quite understand that. Um, not in a like unhelpful way or, or, or a disrespectful way. It was just that sort of like, ah, just I just did it, like. Um, um, and I suppose that's what I say to my students is like it's important to know what, what you're into and what you want to do and if that's kind of children's TV or if that's the RSC or if that's where do you want to start what makes you what makes you passionate what's your thing what's your kind of and it's not always going to be that it's not only ever going to be that but what are you into like what kind of stuff makes you tick and it was theatre for me um, and um, uh, and theatre is kind of um, yeah it is a drug and it is something that makes sense to me like I sit in a theatre and I feel like I belong there I get nervous like just sitting in a theatre like uh, for the people that are about to go out on stage because I, I just I get it I get what this world is I don't feel like um, I feel like I belong there I definitely feel like I belong there I don't feel like I ever want to be without a theatre which is what this period in time is so difficult for I find it I'm finding it really tough um, to kind of make sense of this period of our of our lives because we're not able to go into theatres and we're not able to kind of um, know what the future of theatre is. Um, but yeah, like um, yeah, I tell them to to know what they're passionate about and to know what they to know what they love. Also, to kind of um, like uh, I suppose it's just working hard. Like no yeah. one's going to come and give it to you. Um, you've got to go and get, go out and get it, and you've got to go out and, and kind of find the areas of the industry that need you and want you, or um, or even if they don't need, know that they need you and want you, like make them know about you and be really proud about you. And that's something I've wrestled with and struggled with. I'm quite a shy person, and I found it really difficult. Like I, I find kind of like press nights excruciating. I find kind of social events really difficult. And you know, I know people are just kind of like walk up and go, hi, I'm here. Like I'm here, it's me. And I'm like going, oh God, how are they doing that? Like my wife's <laughs> brilliant at it. Gabby's amazing at it. She just walks into a room and just goes, hello everybody. And I'm like, oh no, how has she just done that? Um, <laughs> but like, um, but there's, I think there's something about not being so kind of like full on as that, but also just being like, um, okay with um, being self-employed and being like, and, and, and marketing yourself and selling yourself and going, these are my skills and this is what I do um, and this is what I'm into. But the main thing is about being informed and um, watching stuff, reading stuff, um, uh, like um, uh, knowing about stuff, knowing names. I do quizzes with my students like, and they don't know that I'm going to do it. Yeah. I just walk into a room and go, right, everyone get a pen and paper um, before the class starts or during this meeting, right? Question one, who's the artistic director of... Um, the Royal Exchange, who's the artistic director of Birmingham Rep, and like, and then and they'll go, oh no, but we didn't know you were going to ask these questions. I'm like, no, you don't. Like, and these are born out of my mistakes. So you know, I was at the RSC and I was sat in a dressing room, and 
and a, and a man walked in and said, hi, Gareth, I'm Adrian. Uh, nice to meet you. And I was like, hi, Adrian. Nice to meet you. And I, and I, it, tea sugars, please. Yeah, I know, well, it could, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know if Adrian was the box office manager, the cleaner or the artistic director. And like, I will never make that mistake again. It's Adrian Noble, obviously. And it was like, you know, it, yeah. So I just, I, I, all of the stuff I teach is like born out of my own mistakes and, and, and the things that I would kind of, um, be really careful of or I, or I would want a teacher kind of giving me now. Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? The, um, the practical knowledge versus the technical mm. knowledge, and I think um, I don't know. We you, you you see a lot of um, students, I think that are that are sort of being given the belief that they have a skill, a talent, an ability, uh, but actually they also will need to know how to do a tax return. Yeah, and <laughs> they will need to know how to approach theatres and and like. I get obviously get a number of emails that will be programming related or I've got this idea, do you want to do that? Yeah. And, you know, the number of people that will approach us and they haven't spoken to live and you go, like, they, they might not have, they, there's no necessary connection to what they're, they're proffering and the new, and Newcastle or the North. Mm. And they've, they've sort of missed the new writing theatre down the road mm. out and just come to us. Also, they might go, oh, it'd be great if we could do this in the next three months. Yeah. And you kind of immediately like, well, I, I'm gonna probably not, probably not gonna read yeah. this now because you don't have the first idea about how any of this is gonna. Work. No, exactly. And and some of it, I, I, like some of this career is about learning it the hard way and and making some mistakes and doing that and then kind of like. And I yeah. think there's a healthy element of reflection and kind of like you know, as I'm talking to you, I'm looking back on my career and then you know, there's moments where you kind of go, ah, oh, yeah, I shouldn't really have done that or it could have handled that a bit better. So, um, yeah, and, and I think a lot of that goes into, into as, as much as the technical stuff, which is kind of the teaching, which is passed on and read and learned and kind of um, experienced. And, you know, uh, there's also that kind of, yeah, like you say, the practical stuff, which um, you hope goes in and you hope people kind of pick up. But maybe I did get taught it and I just didn't listen, you know. So there's, you know, I've gotta be, you've got to be kind of, um, uh, you've got to be tuned into it as well. Um, uh, so, uh, but I, I, yeah, I love it. And, and, and it's a real leveler. Um, you know, you can like coming back on what you, on you said, on what you said, um, uh, Matt, there's, there's, uh, people with experience and enter into education or enter into the industry with, with experience. But, um, you know, you gain experience along the way and, and you, you, you're only really as good as the kind of, as, as the kind of the, the place you're at at that time, if that makes sense. I don't really know what that phrase means, but you know, like there's, there's, yeah. uh, there's, there's a range of experience that can be useful to any given moment. And just because you've done some stuff doesn't mean you're right for the next stuff. It doesn't mean that you're, you've got a, a, a divine right to do something else. You've got to, um, you've got to be patient. You've got to, uh, and, and see the big picture. Um, I think that's another thing. Like I look back and go, oh, there's a moment when I, I was auditioned for this job. And if I just got that job, I would have gone off around the world and done this part, but I wouldn't have met my wife in the next job. And I, you know, like, so I, yeah, you've got to see the knockbacks as possible, possibilities as well. Um, and I talk about all those things about, you don't know what's around the corner. If you don't get a job, it's because you're meant to be getting the next one and that can change your life yeah, yeah. in some way. So you've got to be philosophical yeah. about it as well. I think. Yeah, you do. And you've got to be persistent and proactive yeah. and, and balance that without coming over as entitled or, yeah you know, like the world that owes you something. It's a very, very fine balance. And I, I liked what you said about that kind of uh, networking and positivity. And, and Gabby is for sure 
extraordinary at that. Yeah. Sort of, and, and one of the few people that seems to manage it in a, because I sort of look at a lot of people that are, are ready to network in that traditional fashion and wonder if they're not sociopaths mm. because they don't seem to care yeah, no, yeah. at all in the same, like they have none of the voices in their heads that, that, that we do. Yeah. But Gabby manages to do it in a way that you just sort of feel like you've known her for ages and you're really good mates with her within about five minutes. She's, uh, she's very brilliant at that. And, and like, she's just, uh, you, I mean, just incredibly um, warm and open, but also very creative and, and she listens and it's all the kind of qualities you want in, um, in somebody to be, that you know, you're working with. I've worked with, uh, obviously, I'm, I'm I'm married to Gabby, and I, I, I knew her as kind of like my partner before I worked with her. But I've worked with her as well as a as a producer, and uh, and it's um, to start off with, it was quite shaky that. But now, but like she she has all the qualities that you want in in that in that person who's quite direct, but also kind of very very kind of considerate and and just uh, but yes, just able to walk into a room and feel like everybody knows. Uh, and she knows everybody. I don't know, like stresses me out to even think about speaking to people. <laughs> um, uh, but you were self-isolating. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 definitely. I've been self-isolating all my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, do you think that being an actor has helped you be a writer? Yeah, and has yeah. helped you be a teacher and a yeah. director. Um, yeah. So when you were referencing, you you know what it's like. You know what they're feeling back there. You know on press nights. Yeah. Uh, I often think that as well. Um, that everybody knows there's adrenaline, yeah. but at the same time, to know the experience is to know the experience. And I'm just wondering how much that has transferred, you know, across so you know, your in, career in lots of different ways. In in teaching, like I think, I don't think you can kind of. Um, like enough importance on the fact that you've stood up there and you've done it. Like I know, and there's an empathy in, 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 in how a student is, is dealing with these moments and, um, uh, and also how, uh, you know, how just the kind of intricacy of being an actor, like understanding words and understanding text and, and having this idea in your head of, well, about what you want this to look like, but not being able yeah. to do it like the version in your head and how you yeah. inch your way towards that version in your head. Um, and I've, I, and I know all those things cause I've kind of lived and breathed those things. So I, uh, and I've kept being a student in my mind all the way through kind of, uh, my career. I had so much, um, uh, was learned from going to drama school and going to university. I, I just and it just stayed in my head, and now I'm passing that on to other students, which is brilliant. So yes, but I think there's something about uh, being an actor that you just you, you just uh, empathise and understand and can be able to break it down and and and, and overcome it with them because you've done it. But as a writer, I think um, it's about like, I I now write plays that I would want to be in, um, and I write yeah. words that I would want to say. And I don't. And if I hadn't done that, and if I hadn't kind of um, worked with brilliant writers, uh, then I would, um, like, as an actor, then I, I wouldn't have as uh, as a kind of a, a, an access into dialogue. I think um, I think the way I write dialogue is heavily influenced by um, by being an actor. Yeah. And one other thing, you're from the north. Yeah. You're all from the north. Mm-hmm. Um, how much do you think that is a obstacle and also a gift in our industry? Um, an obstacle. Uh, I don't know if it's an obstacle so much as it was. Like, I hope it's not. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. So like, I keep reading a lot of stuff in the Guardian about you know about access to opportunities for working yeah. class actors and 
Right, and, right. And I, and I do I think, think there's working class there's working class communities all over the country. So like I don't necessarily Fair see enough. that as a, as a as a kind of a specifically northern thing. But I do get what you're saying completely. Um so yeah, like I think being working class, um, and that that, that influences the work I write and the work I do massively man. Like that is at the like there are a lot of things like at the core of my writing actually, but wor- working class issues is certainly one of them. Um uh but yeah, I think I think, well, I don't think, I know there's a London-centric element to um, to this industry. It's where the theatres are. It's where the, like, predominantly the aid, not, not the, all the theatres, but where this, the, you know, most theatres are, where most agents are, where most kind of auditions happen, where, um, where the training institutions are. I think, you know, you go to, not all of them, again, like, and there are excellent, brilliant ones. I'm working at one at the minute, which is outside of uh, London. And I think it, uh, the ones outside of London offer students something um, really, um, really important. Like, not, it's not everyone's kind of um, want to go to a big metropolis and, and, and live there and, and, and study there. Uh, but it's where the things are. It's where, it's where London is where it, 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 it kind of traditionally has been. But I don't know, like, I think um, there's going to be, uh, a, a kind of a, just a need for that to be out to kind of grow outside of London. I don't like kind of like the word kind of regional because uh, we're such a small country. Like it shouldn't be <laughs> regional. Like it's a tiny country. Let's just like and and there's so much work going on. So much amazing work. I came to Cornwall a year ago, um, and you know there's just an amazing amount of work going on down here that you wouldn't know about if you're in London. And why would you? You know, why? and, and you know, because like, it's here. It's for the people here. Um, but then it goes on tour and it goes elsewhere. But I, I think there's, um, yeah, I think there's, uh, uh, has it been, a, has been Northern or been from the North um, held me back? No, it's just made me more determined to kind of prove myself. Um, I'm proud from where, of where I'm from. I'm proud of the stories that I know and they have influenced the work that I've done. Um, I care about the community that I'm from and I I suppose what it's made me do being a working class writer, it's made me want to reflect that world um, accurately. I don't necessarily see that world reflected uh, back on stage or screen often. Um, uh, and I, um, I suppose that's part of what, what drives me. Um, so yes, it's been, it's been something that's kind of fueled me rather than anything, I think. I think that um, anecdotally, I'm certainly hearing a lot of um, people who have moved to London for their careers during this current situation have gone home again. And I, and I sort of wonder to what extent London's kind of emptied from all the people from around the country that have moved there for work. And yeah, I wonder. I wonder if there'll be any lasting impact from that. You know, if people will go, actually, I, I could be back here. I could work. But there, here. I mean, there, I mean, I think there's a place for everything, really. I mean, there are brilliant, brilliant kind of um, uh, theatre companies outside, based outside of London. Um, and you know, in some respects, it's worked in London. And you know, it, it kind of it's a hub, and it's I don't know. I think I think I read a statistic that it's it's the most live performances. Uh, are, are per night on the planet happen in London. Like, you know, it's the centre of, it's, it's a global centre of live performance. Um, and, um, and, and good, like, that's good. But as long as that's not to the detriment of everywhere else, um, yeah. then um, uh, I think that's, that's the main thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, we did a, as part of the Orbit 12, we did a brilliant um, 
workshop with Emma Rice and and um, uh, and someone asked her what's your best advice for uh, being a director or, or kind of finding um, funding as a director and she said get out of London you know go to the places where there aren't where there isn't funding and there isn't a theatre and apply for funding from there and bring it to somewhere that needs it um, because you've got a you've got more chance of getting it because you're not um, in competition with everybody else who's in London and it's more important and it's more valued and it's more needed um, so um, yeah I don't know man I don't feel like I can kind of fully comment on on how the industry works or how it should change but I just know for me like it's not like being northern hasn't held me back it's been my kind of it's been my uh, drum to bang You've spoken about the over 12 a couple of times um, for people who don't know what it is and and it's another moment in your I don't know your journey um, that had has had an impact on you definitely um, because it's led us also partly to this conversation as well yeah. so can you tell us a little bit about the Ovic 12 how it works like so, what yeah, happens inside o- of it the Ovic 12 is a, it's a fantastic scheme run out of the old Vic obviously where um, um, you as a writer you apply with a pitch um, um, and so there's three writers three directors three um, producers uh, and three um, uh, creatives so um and I think they're different creatives each year. So we had a uh, puppet maker and a puppeteer, a um, uh, designer, um, and a um, musical director, choreographer, um, um, composer. Um, and uh, so there, there's the 12, and um, you then get kind of put into groups of uh, three where there's a director, a writer, and a producer, and then the individual creators kind of pop between those, um, those groups. Um, I nearly didn't apply for it. I was like the last. It was. It was like I think you had to get your application in by midnight on a on a Sunday night, and it was like half eleven. And I was still like going, should I do? Should I put it in? Should I put it in? Like I don't know. And then I just kind of I, I did, and then uh, and it's yeah. I'm so so glad I did because um, being exceptional to that scheme, like you, yeah, it's been it's been it's been one of the kind of defining moments of. Of my kind of writing career, winning the brunt, but obviously having my second play produced, which was a deeply personal play, and then this has been—it's just given me the support and the structure. And I would never have written this play, I'd never have written Shandyland if it wasn't for the Old Vic Twelve. That's a lie. I would have written it, but it wouldn't have been as good if I hadn't have done it um, with the Old Vic Twelve and been um, paired up with Hannah and um, and Matt, and then done the uh, done the kind of year at the Old Vic Twelve. So you get put in these kind of um, threes, and then you develop the play. So I'd had the first scene of the play in my head and that I pitched and then I remember in the interview they said oh, what happens then I was like I don't know that's why I want to go on this scheme so so I can kind of like research and spend time with people working out what happens after that um, so it was kind of yeah I was really really lucky to get um, put onto the Orbit 12 um, and to get put with the people that I did um, and to work with um, with deadlines in place and a clear structure like you know there's going to be after the year there's going to be a reading um, uh, of, um, of, with an audience so um, the deadlines was a really useful thing for me because prior to that it just been like me in my kitchen on my kitchen table kind of just like hoping that it was right and then and then now there was like oh there's someone there who could help me when I was hit a crossroads of going I could take this character in this direction or this direction um and there was a deadline of kind of when that when that draft has to be in and 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 kind of yeah it was a real it was a structure that I hadn't had before that I was um I was in desperate need of it was great I'm not a writer I've never written uh I probably never will 
Um, but I, I know a lot of writers and I imagine it's, well, I know it's quite lonely, as you've said. Mm. Um, what have you, what have you d- discovered about yourself as a writer, your craft? Like, what tips would you give somebody out there that is listening to this about, about doing it? Because I just can't get beyond when I look at a screen and I go, it's just, it's just blank. Yeah. How am I going to fill that? Yeah. Um, so there's a few things really that make me write and, and what I do when I write. So I, um, um, I watch things like around, I not, not just like watch things like on TV. I like, I look at the world and I look at people and I, I'm, I'm quite into people. I'm quite into what people do and how they, um, behave and speak and, 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 uh, I suppose ordinary people in extraordinary situations is something that I'm quite into. Um, and they happen on a really domestic level. Um, and I think that's something that I'm kind of keen about writing about as much as, so that's the kind of like the micro and the macro of my work. I, like I said earlier, I write about things that I want to shout about. Um, and you know, Shandyland is about a statistic that I read where 27 pubs a week are closing predominantly in working class areas. And that really bothers me yeah. for lots of reasons. So i I started to think about what those reasons were and then started to think about a play that might um, be able to kind of house those reasons. Um, um, and it was a, it's a slow process. And I, suppose I usually start by, having, having, like, by looking at things and, and seeing things that kind of like, interest me or listening to people's conversations, like overhearing stuff. I like kind of eavesdropping, eavesdropping and kind of and like watching people and like coming up with imagined scenarios for what people might be talking about. And then just sketching little bits of dialogue and going, oh, I might need that one day. I might use that one day. And then, and then if I've got a bigger idea, like a pub or a boy who wants to um, be a poet but ends up being a soldier or uh, a couple going through fertility treatment or whatever it is, I'll then just write a really, really rough sketch. So like part one, part two, part three, part four, part five, part six. And then just put a line next to that. Like, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, the boy um, wants to leave his hometown. And that's kind of like the first couple of scenes. The boy leaves his hometown and then regrets it or whatever. And, and then it's just kind of like having a really loose, like really kind of broad, broad structure. And then it's about kind of just keep adding detail and adding more detail and adding more detail. I think it was, I don't know, I think it was a, a Michelangelo that, um, oh, what was it? I looked at a block of marble and could see the, 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 um, the statue that was inside it and then would spend lots of time kind of um obviously lots of time but like years and years and years molding and shaping that marble uh, until it was a well, a masterpiece and i suppose not that anyone plays a masterpiece is but that blank page is the marble and then it's about just keep finding the detail keep shaving the edges keep going and look at that scene again and going well, how could that be better and am i happy with that um, and yes, it's lonely and it's, and it can be like, it's like doing a, um, an impossible Sudoku at times, like going like, where, like, uh, where is the solution in this play? And always, and knowing that it's not good enough. I think that's a really good thing to know and being brave with that. And I'm not suggesting anybody should kind of just delete their work, but I did that. Like I wrote 60 pages of my second play, The Quiet House, and I just deleted them all because I knew it wasn't right. And then I did it again with like the next 40 pages. I just like, I didn't save it anywhere. I just like highlighted and deleted. And I just was like, I've got to start. And that was like really stressed me out to do it. But I knew that what I was writing 
didn't feel right. And it's about following that instinct, that feeling in my gut of going, there's, there's a better version of this. I've got to go back and start again. Um, um, and, there's, and there's bits of that. And like, you know, um, the old Vic 12, coming back to that, was really important because I could use Hannah. And Hannah's been fantastic, like unbelievable in this kind of, um, in the development process. And will, 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 I'm using the word will, direct this play brilliantly. Um, um, because uh, I've had that person there. I've gone, Hannah, I think I'm going to like, I think I'm going to cut this scene. I think I'm going to cut this character. And she's gone, right, okay, leave that with me. Um, and I've gone, no, I think, I think I've got this feeling that I should do it. And she's either gone, mm, no, there's another way around it, or she's gone, yeah, yeah, do it, do it. And having that other person there has been um, uh, really refreshing because it's not been me jumping out of the aeroplane going, I hope this parachute works when I delete. Um, it's been me kind of going, um, jump out of his aeroplane with me. <laughs> <laughs> so you're there with yeah. me. That's yeah. what the parachute works. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Do you ever um do you ever get obsessed or fixated on what are you trying to say with the play? Do you ever get into that and, and go, shit, I'm gonna like either end up sledgehammering an audience <laughs> yes. with my point. I get obsessed with that or, question because yeah. that's what I get asked all the time. Like, what are you trying to say with this play? Mm. Um yeah, that is the question that you get when, like, that was the question with Britannia. What are you? And and I suppose, and and with with the, with the Quiet House, and I suppose there's an element of kind of um, coming to terms with what you're trying to say with the play. Um, and I resist stuff, and I'm, and I'm, I think like answering your question, looking back over my work, what um, what have you learned? Like being okay with what you're trying to say is a really important thing. Like I was sat in a rehearsal room, very 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 early kind of R and D of Britannia. Once I'd just won the Bruntwood, and there was some actors and some, that, some kind of uh, uh, there was a director and and um, uh, Max Webster who was on uh, attachment at the uh, the Royal Exchange at the time, and um, they were talking about whether this is a political play, and I was like, oh, I don't call it a political play because I'm I'm not clever enough to be able to back that up, um, and I was like, no, it's not a political play, it's not, and he was doing, and Max was just like. It's called Britannia Waves the Rules. Of course, it's a political <laughs> play. And, and that's okay. Um, and I was like, okay, okay, it's a political play. And then similarly with, with, the, with The Quiet House, which is about a couple who are um, experiencing fertility treatment. Um, and for me, um, it was like, this isn't about fertility. This isn't about fertility treatment. This is just about a couple. It's a love story. And I'm hiding behind it being a love story when I know what it is, actually. It's a play about fertility treatment. And but that's about me being a man, feeling kind of scared that I'm writing a play um, um, uh, and not being able to back up what is a, um, which is a, like a, you know, a female focused story um and then and then being brave enough to go yeah it is about that and that's okay too um so um so yeah and shandyland is uh socio-political drama um uh family drama it's a comedy it's lots of things um and i'm okay with that and i think that's uh, it's uh, i think it's clear about what shandyland is and, and what it's trying to say but i do wrestle with it matt yeah i do with um with what are you trying to say about about the world or what is your play trying to say because i come up, up against that question a lot and sometimes it's like i don't know i just like the idea of writing a play about this and and, and is that enough is that enough to kind of say i that? sort of wonder if it's other people's job to yeah, play maybe. that call mm. I mean, I'm not a writer, but it, 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 you've got to see a story through and you've got to understand the characters and you've got to know what the interest or the passion for you writing it is because you're the one writing yeah. it. So 
at the end of it, in the same way, I suppose that it happens with literature, it happens with everything, a group of people will come together and go, oh, yeah, very much definitely meant this. The author definitely meant yeah. that. Uh, you know, the author may have just gone, no, I thought it'd be cool if they did that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, mean, I do think that's, you know, a huge part of it, of when you know, people go out, they're, they're talking about this, or I once worked with a director who said, um, the only time I know how to direct the play is when I've directed the play. Yeah, right. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And sit yeah. with an audience, because, yeah. you know, lots of people can ask you, what are you going to do with it? Or what do you think it's trying to say? And I remember sat with him in a tech and he went, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know until I see it. Yeah. I don't know until I've finished it. And I, um, then I'll know. And then if only we could go back and re-rehearse it, it'd be much better. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, there's there's loads of examples of that as well, where you kind of go, oh, oh well, you sit in the audience and, and watch your play happen, and you think, oh god, that bit there, I should have just done that bit a little bit differently. And yeah, I, I see what I see the things that um, uh, that I could have done better, but, but you know, it's not for me; it's for the audience, and they're and they're getting it, and they're and they're and, it, and it's kicking in, kicking in for them, and, and they're listening. And there's nothing more unbelievable than having like an audience. Uh, respond either by being kind of um, moved or, or laughing or feeling kind of a response, an organic response to the words you wrote one day in your kitchen. Like that's unreal, like hands down, unreal. Like the first time that happened in uh, Britannia was I went to watch the, the first show as a matinee um, and I sat there and I was like, oh, kind of proud going, this is it. And there was nobody else there with me. I just went on my own. And then I sat there and thought, oh, hang on a minute. There's quite a lot of kind of elderly people here. This is kind of like a matinee, and there's quite a few F-bombs and C-bombs in this play. I, oh, no, they're going to absolutely hate it. And then like, they didn't, and they liked it. It's like, wow, this is cool. This is, this is completely addictive. Um, but, um, but, yeah, 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 there's that, um, that never knowing how it's going to be received. But, not, but, yeah, it's not, it's not for it's not for you at that point, you can't get over to them. Yeah, We've mentioned Chandeland a couple of times, and I think you know we should talk about it. Um, and I've heard that it's been sort of 10 years and maybe it's thinking, and sort of three years in its development. Yeah. And so what, and you've mentioned that, you know, it's, uh, it's a social political political play what's at its heart you know what's driving it it's that's uh, not what you're trying to say no exactly sort of yeah yeah, yeah it's not what i'm <laughs> trying to say um yeah and I, well just coming back to what you're trying to say um just before i go on to Chandelland, there's this thing that I, it doesn't influence what i write like, i don't sit there and go how do i write a play that, uh, that encapsulates what i'm trying to say because i know i'm going to come up against that question um i write about things that i can i kind of really give a shit about and I believe that other people give a shit about too and then I try and I just love 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 stories I love brilliant stories I love kind of like being like lost in a story I love being told a story my kids love being told a story something about the child in us that loves stories and like takes us back to that kind of going what happens next read another page daddy I get that every night and there's something about that in what I'm writing I, I want to get people kind of really into the worlds that I'm writing about and Sandyland um I hope it does that. I hope it does that. I think it's um, it's a play that um, that is about uh, well, it's about a pub uh, and pub, and I think it's well, it's about a pub, um, but it's also about social spaces within working class areas, and and, and I suppose I've seen them dim, like just disappear like over the last twenty years, thirty years. 
um, um, or, or be or be kind of like um, rebranded in a different way. So kind of like libraries and you know um, uh, um, parks, um, um, art galleries, theaters, cinemas swimming pools like places that have just been kind of closed um or are moved to another place and i just think it's a real um problem that uh, our social spaces um are are being changed or moved um or closed predominantly closed and pubs are on and within working class areas mainly are um are just disappearing for lots of reasons um, and some that can be um, uh, dealt with and some that probably can't. But um, uh, And I'm not trying to say that um, we can solve the problem in the play. I'm just trying to say that I think it's a real um, shame that exceptional conversation happens in pubs. Brilliant like stories and um, jokes, like the best jokes happen in pubs and the best like, like fights happen in pubs and the best um, uh, like debates happen in pubs um and um and where do they go like where do those things go if you take the pub away like, where do um where do those debates where do people fall in love um if you take the pub away like so um so that really started to kind of like play with my head um and i was like right there's a brilliant story in here somewhere and um, and I sort of didn't know what the, I, I had this first scene, I'm not going to spoil it for everyone, but the first scene I had in my head for a while, I think this is like, I was like, that's a cracking way to start a play. That is a really, really good way to start a play. And I was like, oh, I can't, can't get this out of my head. And I became obsessed with this, this first scene. Um, and, uh, and I wrote the first scene and, uh, or I had it as a, as an idea when I went to the old Vic 12 and I was like, that was the first thing I was like, got to get that first scene down. Um, but while we're on the old Vic 12, um, I went and like, um, we've done a workshop or we're doing a workshop and I was like, right, I'm going to go to the pub because I've got to sit in a pub if I'm going to write about a pub. And I do this quite a bit and I, uh, and I just took my notepad and I sat in this pub in Bermondsey, which is where near where we were doing the workshop. And, um, and I just sat there, it's like a proper old working man's pub in Birmingham. It's like Saturday afternoon, it's like three or four people stood at, uh, sat at the bar chatting. And there was this girl behind the bar, she must have been about 19. And she was just on her phone, biting her nails. She was biting her nails and she was kind of like on her phone and she'd bite her nails and she's on her phone. And then she'd serve someone and she'd kind of be able to crack a joke and then she'd just go back to her phone or go back to biting her nails. And I was like, right, that's a really interesting person. She's fascinating. So I started to kind of like, like she has no idea that I was just like making some notes about her. And then I made some like, like factual notes about her and then like let's let my imagination wander like what's she like what does she watch on telly and what does she do on a weekend and what does she do 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 all the time and what's she into what does she fight about what happens if someone starts having a, having a row in her pub does she just sit there and watch them or does she kind of like get involved and I just made these kind of scenarios up for her and then I just went I left and and then knew that I needed to have a like a young girl in, uh, as the focus and then and then yeah as the play kind of developed and I was spanning 20 years um I, I then had a journey and I had like a, a life and, and then this girl becomes 21 and over the course of 21 years so this girl becomes 21 so I, I wrote about this girl really when uh, I first joined the zoom call you were sort of talking about what you've been up to the last six weeks and you're sort of walking around your house going uh, what shall I do in this room <laughs> um what what have um you know, the last six weeks or seven, eight weeks have been quite extraordinary for all of us. 
Like, has it given you space to think more? Or has, it, or has creativity gone and sort of sat in the corner? Have you wanted to sit in the corner? Or have you sort of like gone, no, it's fed you? Or as a mixture of all the things? Uh, well, I've been working. So I've been, we, our teaching went online. So, um, yeah, we went and did kind of, uh, we've been doing online teaching, which has been, um, it's been really actually quite brilliant and really quite challenging in equal measure, as I'm sure you can imagine. But um, so I've been kind of focusing on, on that um, and and kind of um, getting our students over the line um, uh, for the kind of uh, the final assessment. So that's been um, taking up a lot of time. But in terms of creativity, I found it, oh, I don't know, some good days, some bad days. I found it like I should be, like if someone had said, you're going to get seven weeks in your house, I'll be like, yeah, great. I'll write a play. Uh, <laughs> and, and the truth, the fact of that is, like, the fact of the matter is, that's not been possible. It's been so difficult. Um, I, eat, I suppose that I say that I write at my kitchen table. I don't actually. I, I even when I'm uh, there's nobody in the house. I usually, I usually leave the house to write. I usually go somewhere to write because this is my home. And then I leave yeah. to go to work. And I think that's been a really difficult thing for me personally to get my head around is that this is now where I go to work. Um, and finding that um, the discipline to write or to work whilst at home and also having the kids, like this is their home and they're running around. And it's like, that's not their fault that now I'm working and I can't concentrate. So it's about balancing all of that. Um, but, um, but creativity, I think, has always been kind of... Um, uh, like fighting for my attention all my life um, and ideas are still kind of like, like bursting through and I'm just having to be really, really, really um, diligent with it now about going out today I'm going to work on this and today and then I, I'm going to find some time to do that uh, uh, and it's difficult, like it's difficult having a full-time job um, and writing plays um, um, and uh, but I, yeah, I just kind of I make sure I portion my time really well. Like Gabby's brilliant because she just goes right. Well, let's just get the calendar out and like work out the weekends when you're doing that, and we'll work it out and make it work for our family. That's how I wrote Shandyland. Was um, you know we had two, we've got two kids, and 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 they're little, and and they take up a lot of time. But we would kind of work it out and make sure like that's that's teaching, and, and then you've got some time there to write, and then that's where we'll be a family. And it, it's not perfect. But um, but it, it's um, it's kind of that structure helps me. Yeah, that helps me. So it's been trying to get structure into this time has been um, has been the one, the only way through it. But I have felt like ridiculously claustrophobic at times, which I've never felt before. And I felt like I just feel like uh, I need to get out. I need to get out of the house because I'm in it too much. Um, yeah. And that's and, and getting out and going for a walk has been. Uh, so good for, and, and productive in terms of doing work, te teaching and um, and writing. Like it's been helpful. So just kind of like normally I would come home to stop, and uh, weirdly now I'm leaving home to stop. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely understand that. Also, one of the highlights of my week is going to the supermarket. I absolutely love getting out of the house. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so free, and I'm suddenly going. There's a world out there that I've sort of not seen for, I don't know, two or three days yeah. or four days or, and it's, it's, it's so bizarre that what we take as, as red, that we can go and travel and do anything we want to do, you know, but then, you know, well, yeah, I know. 
Yeah. Go to the supermarket, man. It's like how that I'm awake. I'm going, Jesus. I know, yeah, I know. And how things change so quickly and how you, your sense of kind of focus changes so quickly. Like that now becomes, that was something that we just did. And now it becomes like, I don't know. I don't like going to the supermarket. I don't like it. Like, I'm, I'm envious that that's the highlight of your week because that's like, please don't make me go. Gabby, please don't make me go to the supermarket. <laughs> I don't want to go. <laughs> Scary out there. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, just sometimes we, anyway, just going into town. I mean, yeah. sometimes we go to the Granger Market, which is in town, and it's like desolate. And it's yeah, been it's one depressing. of the most fascinating things about it, mm. which is, you know, at the same time, it's depressing, but at the same time, it's just weird to see a city like that. It's yeah. so strange. Yeah, the atmosphere is atmospheric, isn't it? That's the thing. Yeah. yeah, there's something very, very atmospheric about our world at the minute. Yeah, which mm. is undeniable and interesting. Absolutely. Fascinating. I've got one more for you, unless you've got any, Matt. I was going to say, so if someone I knew once um, was uh, in, in applying to BBC to join their, like, I can't remember what the job was. I, I feel like it was a writing department of some kind. And the question was put to the candidates. Just the simple question was the final kind of, test i guess um what comes after what follows vampires i think was the question because at the time sort of 10 years ago vampires was the uh, yeah, I got you. yeah um so that was sort of like what's the zeitgeist yeah. and, and i think there's like a lot of the zeitgeist has been in the last 10 years i would say is about an apocalypse and an end of yeah, now we've had that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and now we've had yeah, that exactly next? so my, my question is, what comes next? Um, Good question. That is a brilliant question. That is, um, and this feels like, like you know, this feels like opening your ideas book to somebody and going, look, this is these are the, this is what happens next. I don't know. Like, I think there's something about um, what happens after the apocalypse. Wow. Uh, don't know. I hope. It, I hope what it is is um, community. I hope it's about. Yeah. Yes. I hope it's about community, and that yeah. sounds a bit kind of. Um, I don't know, idealistic and utopian. I don't want a utopian community, but I want something that is sort of like we've. Like, there's been so many kind of um, moments of connection and um, reconnection that you could never have planned for during this time. Like, I've like got back in touch with people and um, and found new ways of communicating with people and. And become more, um, become better at communicating with people. Like going back to that um, uh, press night scenario where I can't speak. Like, I think I'd probably be all right with it on Zoom, actually. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, there's, um, yeah, there's. So I think it's. I hope it's about uh, like the next, like what happens after vampires is community. Yeah, I do. I think there's something about us all uh, living in a different way or in a better way that um, that works better. Like I just hope we learn from it yeah i hope we learn from it and i hope the the the, uh the next load of kind of um art or material or books or is about how we um how we uh live in this sort of um and i don't want it to be perfect because nothing should be perfect but this um this world where um yeah i don't know we talk better and we kind of exist better we listen better actually yeah well i'm i'm gonna sort of ask you this because I always ask it and I always say I always ask it I'm going to stop saying that because producer Johnny has to cut it out um, what's the best thing you've watched read played or done in the last eight weeks alright okay um, I, I, I made a couple of notes about that because I was because uh, I've listened to the podcasts over the last couple of weeks and and, <laughs> and I knew you, and then so I was like right I can't be like I can't be after it like going bye and then going why didn't I just say that um 
So I, um, I've got this book, right, called The Secret Lives of Colour. Have you heard of that? Right. No. It's by uh, Cassie Sinclair. And it's basically every single colour in the spectrum. She's researched um, either the history of it or, the, uh, or like fascinating facts about it. Um, and it's like, it's just like, um, it's like just by the bed and I just pick it up and go, right, I'm going to read about yellow tonight, or I'm going to read about, um, ochre, or I'm going to read about like, um, I don't know, uh, imperial purple. And it's just amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'm not really selling it well, but it's like this amazing book about fascinating, like history of color. Um, and I've got this thing about colour. I'm kind of like really into kind of uh, colour and um, yeah, and, and the way I, I sort of think in colour and I sort of like write in colour. Um, so I've, I'm kind of quite into it. So I've got that book and also, um, but I also kind of I read a lot and like uh, the play I'm uh, I'm on commission at the minute um, uh, uh, for the old Vic. And the play I'm writing for them has got loads of facts and it's got loads of kind of research and tons and tons of research. So I, I kind of read to kind of escape so i kind of just like love uh i love fiction i love kind of like writing right uh, re- reading kind of just um uh quite kind of juicy fiction so i've just read uh, once upon a river uh by Anse- by diane satterfield which is brilliant absolutely brilliant book um about um um well it's about a pub interestingly on a river um and all the things well and something happens one night um, and then this amazing story kind of um, ensues. Brilliant, brilliant book. Podcasts, I'm into them as well. Um, in the dark. Northern Stages podcast. You, oh, yeah, Northern Stages podcast. That's <laughs> top of the list at the minute. Um, <laughs> um, have you heard In the Dark? No, I haven't, no. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Series two of In the Dark. It's investigative journalism. Oh, get in. Um, it's absolutely, like series one is good, but it's kind of a bit, uh gruesome series two is just so so good so i'll go straight to series two in the dark um absolutely brilliant um and you're dead to me do you know that one yeah the history one which is just like you know little like sections of history and yeah and they like unpick it with a comedian which has been brilliant yeah uh that well thank you very much gareth that's been an absolutely brilliant hour and ten minutes oh, uh, it's gone quick hasn't it really enjoyed it thank yeah. you so much for your time no it's a pleasure uh, thank you uh, thank you Matt and thank you my pleasure producer Jonathan um, and on that note um, I'll say goodbye our <laughs> well, thanks to Gareth for taking the time to chat to Matt and I I thought Gareth was so clear, humble and passionate about theatre making in all its contexts. And he has that innate sense of curiosity that obviously drives him to keep learning from everyone he works with. Pure class. We'd also like to thank all of the artists, collaborators and creatives mentioned in this podcast. Thank you to producer Johnny, aka Johnny Rothwell, for editing the podcast and our very own Chris Clayton Scott for taking on the mammoth task of transcribing it. Also thank you to Mark Melville for soundtracking. And finally, thank you for taking the time to listen. We really appreciate it. Please do take a look at the show notes with links to all the resources and websites that we talked about. And also, if you want to subscribe or leave us some thoughts, you know what to do. Thanks again. See you soon.